right before my secondary interviews, my grandfather passed away. So we traveled to Korea for this funeral. First funeral that I'd been to where somebody, someone I, I was related to had died without Christ. And that just really shook me. I really was questioning, like, what am I going to do with my life? I was really frustrated with the church at times. Big C church. It just didn't match the church that we read about in the New Testament. Welcome back to Anchored and Devoted. This is Pastor Joseph Ann. Hey, I'm Pastor Jer. Welcome. Ooh-hoo. Dave, who else do we have with us? It's a, it's Friar Day, right? It, really? We're going back to that again? This is, we've got Pastor Lee, brother in Christ. He is my boss. Do not get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> I'll try to be good. Famous last words. Oh my goodness. What are we going to do? That's right. We're going to try and behave, even though I know you well enough to know you'll ask the first awkward question. Uh, that comes to your mind. But welcome, Pastor Lee. This is, again, Anchored and Devoted for the new believer and the seasoned believer. Let's get it started. Mitchell, thank you for joining us. We are uh, really glad to have you with us. Um, I had the privilege of having uh, the lead pastor from my church on as one of our guests. And <laughs> now we have the pleasure, Dave, of having lead pastor from your church on. I'll start by the reason why I'm laughing, Mitchell, is um, the last question my brother ended with uh, when he um, <laughs> interviewed well, it. Was the was, penult- it was the penultimate, not the last. Was It wasn't the last. It was in the middle no. somewhere. That's right. Okay. He asked for a raise, and I thought this was the, the best way to get fired on the podcast was to ask your wow. boss for a raise without giving him any heads up. I'm not asking for one. I just put that out there because if you've listened to any episodes, you'll laugh and be like, you know what? Okay, that is hilarious. Now, nice. we want to hear. It was a hypothetical. <laughs> it, was a hypo- it was a hypothetical. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go listen to the episode again. I don't remember the hypothetical <laughs> part. But anyway, <laughs> um, how did you come to faith in Christ? How did you come to know him personally? Uh, yeah, so a little bit about me. Uh, I'm a second-generation Korean-American. Uh, my parents immigrated uh, to the United States in 1974, and my dad was the first um, believer on his side of the family. Um, and so part of his conversion was going to a church, a little Korean-American or a Korean immigrant church in Silver Spring, Maryland. And I was six years old when we first started going there. And it was when I turned eight. Um, I remember it was uh, 1983, March 13th. And there was a couple who would come in to the church to help with the children's ministry and all that sort of stuff. Um, We're fledgling congregation, especially for the, the second generation so, you know, we were worshiping in English and children's, you know, church, Sunday schools, that's all in English, but my parents were worshiping in Korean. And so there wasn't many people who could serve in places like that. So there was a um, beloved Caucasian couple, Mr. Jeff and Miss Robin. To this day, I don't know. I couldn't point them out in a uh, lineup uh, who they, what they looked like, but I do remember them sharing the gospel with us. I was a good kid, did well in school. I'm in second grade, third grade, right? And um, didn't really feel like, oh, I didn't, I didn't have any need. But, you know, when hearing the gospel and how uh, the Lord had created me in his image, but um, my own sin separated me from him, the invitation was given. And it was a sincere invitation and it was a sincere response. I 
raised my hand, I bowed my head and closed my eyes, at least one of my eyes. I did look around and <laughs> uh, looked to see who else had, uh, was looking around there. And I prayed to receive Christ. And, mm. you know, even as a youngster, it's like, okay, was that really legit? Well, I can tell you, like, so that Sunday, I went home and I went across the street to George Contreras' house. I knocked on his door. He was my buddy. And I said, George, come out here. You got to hear this news that uh, I just heard and I just responded to. And we sat uh, on the curb by the streetlight in front of my house. And I shared with him as best as I could the, uh, the gospel message that I had just heard. And that's all. He prayed to receive Christ too. Now, I don't know if that was legitimate or not, if I just peer pressured him into it. But uh, <laughs> one way or the other, the same day I came to Christ, I won my first soul. So, uh, that was a uh, that was pretty that's amazing. Fantastic. That's, that's really how I came cool. to Christ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in 1983, as a second grader, and it was significant enough that I remember the date. And um, that's awesome. So did they yeah. dunk you right after that, or they made you wait, or Deep. how does that work? Yeah, you know, as a growing up in a Baptist church, you'd think they would dunk me right away, but I was resistant, and I just, you know, though my walk with God was real and. I didn't really feel the need to get baptized until actually my sophomore year of college. So it was 20. So it was what, 12 years later. Um, and uh, yeah, that's when I got baptized. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, wow. So you've been in Maryland for, you know, your entire life, more or less? Uh, except for there was, uh, so let me see. I, I was born and raised in Maryland. And then I got, when I got married, that was back in 2004, I moved to Chicago. Okay. Uh, actually, prior to that, I lived for a year and a half in Korea, right after I graduated college. And then came back here, uh, moved to Chicago in June, came back in July, got married, moved out in August, and we were there for eight years. So we'd like, we'd like to say we, um, my wife and I became adults in Chicago. <laughs> I'm still trying to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not in Chicago, yeah. just wherever I happen to be. So- <laughs> So how did you uh how did you sense the call to enter the ministry? Hmm. Uh I was just sharing this actually with somebody over lunch today. Uh so it was not as uh intuitive or as clear as I think some might um testify to. I my whole life I thought I was uh destined for med school. Mm-hmm. Uh in fact, even my high school years, my freshman year, I started the young future medical professions club. Uh, Please tell me there's a photo somewhere. I don't think so, but I, I, to my, to last I heard that it's still going on. Oh wow! Um, But there were, you know, just to put it in perspective, there were five founding members, and four of them became doctors. Oh, good. That's (laughs) good. Except, except except yours truly. Um, I'm sure we can get you a doctoral program. You know, uh, (laughs) D-men. Well, you know, um, so as a, you know, as a uh, through college, I went to University of Maryland, you know, uh, did all my pre-med stuff, took my MCATs, um, wanted to really go to Temple University. It was a great cardiology program at the time. And uh, right before my secondary interviews, my grandfather passed away, my dad's dad. They had a very broken relationship. It's a whole another hmm. long story. Um, so my dad, instead of uh, going to the funeral, he sent me and my mom uh, in his place. So we traveled to Korea for this funeral. First funeral that I'd been to where somebody I kind of knew, you know, I wasn't that close to my mm. grandfather. We we're a continent away, but someone I, I was related to had died without Christ. And that just really shook me. It really rocked me. 
I, um, I really was questioning, like, what am I going to do with my life? I was really frustrated with the church at time, just big C church. It just didn't match the, um, the church that I read about in the New Testament. Um, and I mean, my grandfather died of cirrhosis, which is a uh, basically, you know, drinking disease, liver disease. Right. And while he was on his deathbed, my mom had called several churches to come and visit him. And we found out that not a, a church didn't make it. There wasn't a church that made it. So oh that added goodness. to the, just this, this increasing frustration and discontent with church. I was a little discontent with the church that I was um, volunteering at, attending. And I sat in a, uh, I remember a smoke-filled coffee shop with my non-believing uncle. And he tells me, like, I don't care if you're a doctor, lawyer, engineer. What matters at the end of your life is that you did what you were supposed to do, and the people called you a good man. And he wasn't thinking ministry. He was just speaking yeah. you know, generally. And that really shook me. And I was like, what, what, what am I called to do? And uh, what's going to allow me to live, live you know, quote, unquote, the good life, a life of purpose and meaning? And that's when I really began to explore uh, ministry. I'd been serving. I'd been leading as a volunteer, worship leading, directing so many different things in student ministries. Mm-hmm. Came back. Um, talked to my pastor. My pastor was like, yeah, what took you so long to figure that out? And I was like, oh, that could have been useful before I spent the whole summer studying for my MCATs. Would have been great. <laughs> um, and, and so then I was like, oh, gosh, I have to explore this. I have to tease this out. I told my dad with trembling that I didn't want to go to med school, but rather wanted to go to seminary. He didn't talk to me for two weeks, uh, which is quite a feat because we lived in really? the same house. Yeah, he just didn't speak to me. Um, I found That's out later impre- that he, he, yeah, I mean, like I'd walk into the room and he'd walk out. And, and maybe he'd sigh a little bit. I don't know. I'm sure there was some of that in there. Um, but yeah, man, I was like, I, and then suddenly he breaks the silence two weeks later and he's like, okay, well, if you're serious about this, I want you to move to Korea. Go live with your uncle who's a pastor and cut your teeth, learn your heritage, learn the language. Um, cause never in my wildest dreams that I think I would serve in anything, but a Korean American church context. That's, so that's what I was training for. That's what I was preparing for. That's what I was learning for. And that's how, uh, that's how the beginning of the call to ministry started. Did you go to seminary in Korea or did you start there and come back here? Or what, how did that? Yeah. So I took a year of seminary in Korea, not because of anything except I just wanted to learn language and, um, culture. And particularly, not just like Korean language in general, I could speak Korean, I could get around, but church Korean language, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. Korean church talk, right? Um, just like how do you say mercy? Church talk. How do you, how do you say uh, Trinity and, and baptism, words that typically don't come into everyday language? Yep, some of those things. But then also, like, not even just doctrinal, Jeremy, but like also, you know, in the South, when I went to seminary, they were like, oh, we're going to have a, you know, Homecoming with dinner on the grounds. And you're like, what the heck does that mean, right? <laughs> like, I thought only high schools do homecoming, right? Um, dinner on the grounds, like we're not going to eat on tables, you know, like it's just all those kinds of things. And, you know, every church has those things. Every church yes. subculture yes. has those kinds of things, you know. Um, yeah, we call them black pop church, provisions. Talk about, right? Pop mm-hmm. provisions. Black church will talk about a watch night service. You're like, what's a watch night service? Where, where does that come in? So it's not even doctrinal. Mm. It's just cultural language. Yeah. Um, you know, when um, in a responsive, more responsive congregation, the preacher's taking long and 
Dave Joseph, how do how do the people how do the people uh, give him the give the preacher a uh, a bit of uh, a encouragement? Well, they will they will tell you outright, <laughs> right? They and will, they'll say they'll say things like, "Bring it in, come on, bring right. it in, land it, they'll, bring they'll, it home." They'll say amen. They will exactly. They'll make it abundantly clear as time to end. <laughs> yep, abundantly. yep. And so it's so it's that kind of thing where. Um, I was just learning that kind of language. And so I did a year of that in Korea. Um, imagine trying to study Greek as a native English speaker in Korean. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you would translate, I would translate something. <laughs> it was crazy. I would translate something from Greek into English and then have to look up a dictionary to translate it from English into Korean. And it was taking me so long for my assignments. Finally, my professor was like, hey, I can read English. Just, just do it in English. It's fine. Um, so how, much would you, how much would you have paid for Google Translate then? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. We that had a been, friend that back been in, amazing. Back in Bible college, we had a friend who came over. His first experience with English from South Korea was when mm. he got to the campus for Bible college. And he dove mm. right into like Bible Doc One, Bibliology. And probably Bible survey with with not a stitch of English. And I used to watch mm. Joe. I mean, I don't know how or when he got any sleep because he was studying English on his own mm. and then mm. translating the uh, the texts as best he could to then study. I mean, it was a tremendous. Uh, I think he um, I think he went on to finish his doctorate at uh, Southern mm. Seminary a few years ago. Mm. Yep, yep. There are many respect. like that. I was probably one of the few who did it in reverse. You know? And so, yeah, it was very formative, very formative time. I cut my teeth on ministry. Mm-hmm. It was a very international ministry. Um, it was the first time I was exposed to uh, uh, worker oppression, migrant uh, workers. Um, yeah, all that doing ministry in Korea was pretty like, you know, sweatshops, factories like that. We would lead a Bible study with some um, guys from the Philippines and Nigeria. And they were just crammed in like sardines in this little, oh, it's terrible. But that was before it was even like on the radar for anybody. You know, it was 90, 98, 99. Oh my gosh, oh, that's a that's a crazy story with sweeping <laughs> movements and chapters. There's probably 10 chapters in there. Um, from Korea, you know, I started, like I said, I was really discontent about the church. felt like the church mm-hmm. needed to be something different. Came across a book by a guy named Bill Hybels called Rediscovering Church. Mm-hmm. And that was at the heyday of the Willow Creek movement. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, this, this thing's speaking about everything that every discontent I had about the way church was done, speaking to it. Well, I was doing, we had no resources to, to reach international students in Seoul at the time. And uh, so we had to really partner with other English ministries, international ministries in Seoul. And there was one church that had uh, one. And so we partnered. We did a lot of things to reach students. And there was a leader there who was um, not on, kind of on staff at that church, but not. And he was from Chicago and he was been sent there by Willow, of all places, to start a Willow Creek Association among Korean churches. And I started talking to him, like, I'm reading this book about your church. And he goes, well, you know, they have internships. You should apply. And I'm like, internships? What the? I didn't even know churches had internships. <laughs> uh, and long story short, I applied. I got in. 
left Korea, moved, came to Maryland, bought a car. Two days later, put everything in my car, drove to Chicago, and I spent five and a half months in Chicago on an internship, learning about leadership and ministry planning, and then went to seminary. And that's actually where the first seeds of Chicago kind of got put in my, in my, my mind and heart, because I eventually moved to Chicago because my internship leader, who stayed in touch with me, was at attending a different church, and he thought that I would be a good student ministry pastor for his kids and at that church. So that's how we ended up moving there. And the story of coming to Grace is crazy, man. It's just one of those God pieces. Um, we were visiting Maryland on a vacation uh, for my sister's 30th birthday. Uh, we got some news from my, my, some family members. They were really hurting, and we needed to get them into a church. We didn't think a Korean church would be able to meet their needs. So we're like, well, my sister's been attending this small group at Grace. Let's go check out this Grace Community Church. I go show up, and it's like, Nothing like what I anticipated. And so I walked down because I didn't know any better. I just walked down after the service and introduced myself to Mark Norman and said, hey, I just want to introduce my brother-in-law to you and, you know, my sister-in-law. And they just, you know, they could use your ministry here. And he's like, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor, a teaching pastor in Chicago. He's like, oh, my gosh, you want a job? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Hold on, like, hold, what on, hold, on hold on, hold on, hold on. Right? That's that's the second time I've talked to someone at Grace who on their first time there was asked if they wanted a job. It's yeah, nuts, man. Went. Chris did that with me. And I was like, what in the world? Was that, was that, did they do that to you too, DJ? Yes, I was in the balcony uh... and Chris walked around and goes, do you want to work with the men's ministry? And I was like, you don't know. Like I'm literally <laughs> holding David in my arms. <laughs> It's time to meet and greet. He's like, what do you do? And I was like, hey, I'm, you know, a pastor as well as I'm a teacher. And he was like, hey, you want to work here at the... And I was like, what? Like, who does this? That's like, amazing. Like, just exchange names. And obviously... That's when you got to cultural... cultural... mess with them. Exactly. No, you got to mess You got to mess with them. Be like, uh, well, you know, uh, yeah, I would love to. I just have to, I have to let the Kingdom Hall know that I'm... I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was not thinking uh, that swiftly on my feet. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wow. incredible. We got to there, there is probably something to that. We should probably do a genogram study of, of the church of Grace Community Church to see if that how much that just kind of plays a piece into that invitation, that relational invitation. But yeah, I'd be curious. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, first mm -hmm. time you meet someone, <laughs> and then mm -hmm. being on staff, like just I mean, I. I then went and met Tim when Chris was being announced as a campus uh, director. And that was when mm. Tim announced he was leaving. And mm. God made it clear to me I was supposed to be here, even though I was doing other stuff. And it was like, this is mm. bonkers. Mm. Um, so I, it, that is a unique thing, at least for me, for Grace. And it also is one of those things where you say, okay, no matter what craziness is going on, I know I'm called to work here. <laughs> I'm called to yeah. serve here. I'm called to love others here. And you know, I can look at that and go, yeah, that was a God thing. Like <laughs> until he frees me to something else, you got me. Um and so that's yeah, it's interesting to hear yeah, that did, in your story as well. Did that take you how much time did that take you to discern, DJ? Did you kind of have that impression right away? Um, no, I didn't have that impression right away. Um mm -hmm. because I I I was trying to rest. I was coming out of uh uh, a burnt out space and so i was like okay i need a space to rest and then 
I had been praying for, you know, God, what are you doing in general? Um, Mm -hmm. And Chris and I engaged for probably two or three months, and he was still focused on me being the, you know, pastor to men. And uh, and I told him, I was like, that's not really my wheelhouse. Not that I wouldn't love doing it, just not Mm -hmm. my wheelhouse. I'm more of the Mm -hmm. counseling person. And so when I went to um, the family meeting, and no, I was not a member yet, but I was there. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, You rebel. My my elder invited me, and um, Mm -hmm. uh, and Tim announced that he was leaving. God made it real clear. It was like that was, I was sitting on the back row crying for like 15, 20 minutes, just like, I can't believe this. And I did the same thing. I went to the front and I was like, hey, Tim, I'm your replacement. And, <laughs> <laughs> nice. and he was like, what? And I was like, I'm your replacement. I know it's weird. And he was like, you know, there are other people that are interested. I was like, good for them. I'm still your replacement. You know, we can do the interview process. Wow. I'm fine with it. We went through it. But I knew then, yeah. I was like, this is, this is so done. Yes, I'm your replacement. And wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so Mitchell, how long, ago. how long from that first offer of a job mm-hmm. was it before uh, you landed here permanently? Well, so the crazy story within that was that, so we were, that was October 9th, uh, 2011. And I, again, I know that date because it was my sister's 30th birthday. Okay. And we were just, I actually said, when he said, uh, do you want a job? I actually said, no. Um, and he gave me his card. He said, look, I don't know who you are, what your resume is, but we just literally turned this over to a search firm. If you'd be at all interested, you know, you could send your resume to this person and they, they're doing all our vetting. And so I walked out and my wife's, I mean, I must've looked shocked. She was like, what, are you okay? I said, yeah, he just offered me a job. She's like, what? Um, <laughs> and so we were driving home to Chicago and um, I was like, there's no way. And the reason I was saying no way, Jeremy, was at my church in Chicago, my senior pastor had just talked to me about succeeding him. Mm-hmm. And the process, the interview process with our elders was not supposed to start until September of 2012, the following year. So there was no way I was going to jump ship uh, before engaging that process. And so I was like, they're not going to be able to wait till September to even entertain it like grace. And so no, that's okay. Well, I get back in October that weekend. I get the, that weekend. I get back and senior pastor calls me in the office. He goes, Hey, you know, the elders have been praying and we want to actually move up the process of interview. We don't want to do it next September. We want to do it in a few weeks, starting in November. <laughs> so I'm like, what? And I must have looked shocked and dazed. He's like, is that, is that a problem? I said, well, gosh, I was just in Chicago. And um, I mean, I was just in Maryland and I'm at this church. And, you know, they want me to put my name in the hat for this teaching pastor role. I'm not even sure what it is. I'm not sure what the church is like. And he goes, um, so my senior pastor goes, so what, what's the, uh, senior pastor's name? I said, Mark Norman. And he goes, Oh, I know Mark Norman. I was like, what? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, we did, we did ministry together in new England. And I actually like, um, uh, hired one of his associates away from him, whatever. Da, 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 da. And he gave me, it was funny. It was so like he, really he funny. Had, he had like a jacket on. He was like, all right, this is uh, this is Mitchell. He's in the church right now. It's time to tip the tat. <laughs> I guess so, right? And 
So, and I'm so grateful for his, for his name was Dave McDowell. I'm so grateful for Dave's wisdom and humility because he was like, so I was like, what do I do? He said, well, if you feel like you need to put your name in the hat, do it. Just, you don't need to let the elders know until you're a serious candidate. And when you're a serious candidate, then you can, you know, I'd never done that before. So I put my name in the hat at Grace and turns out like, it's literally not even the 11th hour. It's like the 11th hour, 45 minutes before they're about to call in candidates and do this presentation at Grace. And the, I put my name in, I emailed this uh, consultant or the search firm person calls me. And she's like, hey, you know, I just saw your name come through. Mark told me your name might come through, but we've got, like, we're really, we're tomorrow, we're sending these, uh, this candidate profile, three names. We think you might be a good candidate, but we do a, you know, in-person interview for every person. And I'm like, well, I don't think that's going to happen by tomorrow. And she goes, actually, I live 20 minutes north of you. Can I come drive down oh, wow. and uh, meet you at Starbucks? Wow. So I'm like, what? So she drives down 20 minutes. We meet at Starbucks. She does this interview, does her due diligence, puts me as a name in the candidate. And turns out the other, it, I didn't win any competition. The other two candidates withdrew <laughs> their names. So they were <laughs> stuck with me, man. Um, <laughs> And I don't think I've ever told anybody that part, actually. But, you know, they were stuck with me, and that's how we ended up coming. And I remember we, I was still doing the interview with the church in Chicago. I was speaking at a conference in Thailand, and on one morning, I get an offer from Grace Community Church to be the teaching pastor. And the next day, I get an uh, offer from Community Fellowship to be the next lead pastor. Wow. And. Uh, and it was like a divine neutrality, guys. I was like, all right, Lord, just let it tell me. And it was just quiet silence. Um, <laughs> and almost as if the Lord was like, um, no, you, you choose, I will bless you, you know? And, yes. Yeah. But, but the big piece in it was Sarah. Sarah did not want to move back to Maryland. My wife, Sarah, um, and we had really established a life there. We were really involved in a lot of different, not just local church ministry, but neighborhood ministry, refugee ministry. Mm-hmm. We were engaged in a lot of those things. And she was like, why? I, have, I felt like I had heard earlier from the Lord, like, um, move, move back to the land of your youth, right out of uh, Genesis 23. Mm-hmm. And, um, but Sarah hadn't. And so there was a lot of conversation, hard conversation, waiting, silence, patience. And I finally remember it being lobby calling Mark Norman saying, hey, we want to come. And he was shocked. He thought for sure I was going to say no, actually. And um, we ended up moving. And it was the first, the first year here was the worst of my life. I'm, I mean, <laughs> just the fact that you're, um, there was more, what, what was it a, that gave you peace to know Maryland was the choice? Even though you knew, kind of like for me, it was one of those things where I knew, okay, no matter what happens, this is mm-hmm. a fit. God spoke to me on the back row. This is a fit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I stepped into a position. And yes, I had a lot of work to do. Um, mm-hmm. but, I'm, but I'm from Maryland. So it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the same kind of thing. You know? um, what, what gave you, you know, especially as we're talking to new believers, what gave you the mindset to say, okay, I'm not going to go with even easiest or comfortable. But, you know, I think God is calling me to this. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned like the idea of comfort because, you know, one of Sarah and my deep conversations was, well, why does the harder thing have to be more spiritual? (laughs) That's what she was saying, right? It doesn't have to be necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, as I look back now in reflecting, I I think what drew me back to Maryland was, well, first of all, I did feel like there was a, uh, I had a word from the Lord of like, go back to the land of your youth. And I would, that was one of them. The second was like, I could not envision living in Maryland outside of a Korean subculture. That's all I had known in Maryland. And so here was this like predominantly white church asking me to come and be the teaching pastor. That just was like really weird. Mm. Um, the third thing was that I felt like there just was an edge of ministry on the East Coast, in the Mid-Atlantic, in the shadow of D.C. Um, that was different from the Western suburbs in the shadows of the Great Jerusalem called Wheaton College. And, you know, you got Trinity, you got Moody. That Those those institutions just have this way of shaping the air where like the Western suburbs, I think the city and different parts are a different feel, but there was just this kind of like um, Christian-y vibe that the Western suburbs gives you. Sure. Um, whereas the coming back here, just the sheer secularism felt like there was a challenge and an edge to ministry and gospel contextualization and this sort of stuff that, um, appealed to me. When I look back, I'm like, I loved our church. I loved uh, the people at our church. But I think I was more enamored with receiving the baton than I was actually the ministry uh, that would have continued there at, at, mm-hmm. at, in Chicago. And so that's, that was part of why we decided to move. You know, um, It made it more palatable. I'm, I'm glad you talked about that because I wanted to ask you specifically about, and maybe pivot here a little bit, um, you started off wanting to be a cardiologist. Uh, the heart's been important to you, and then it turned into caring for people. And while you're in South Korea, you're working very closely, and continuing in Chicago, very closely with very hurting populations, very down and out. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear about how your heart for ministry was used both to direct your steps here, but also now the way that it informs uh, the way that you, the way that you pastor, the way that you lead, the way that you conduct and direct ministries in the context that. that... Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Still very much in process. You know, I've always cared about, uh, particularly refugees, I've always cared about the marginalized. Um, And when I look back, it's so it's interesting. When I look back on my ministry in Chicago, the the young men who surrounded me for one reason or another, and that I made disciples of, were men who didn't have dads. That was just, there was just a, a a constant refrain. When I get to uh, Grace Community Church and start the work in disciple making, I look at the line of of men that I've had the opportunity and the the honor of discipling, and most, if not all, are alcoholics. Mm. I, don't, I don't know what it is. Like, I, I don't, you know, I remember one of the guys, and I can say this because he said it. He's like, Mitchell, I don't know what it is about you, but drunks find you attractive, you know? And uh, I was like, okay, okay. That's a, that's uh, a t-shirt, t-shirt right there. Right there. Yeah, that's a, right? That's a summer right. t-shirt right there. Uh, right? So, 
And so, you know, just uh, being engaged with those people, um, you know, the refugee work that we've been able to, to begin here uh, at Grace. But I tell you, the challenge on all of that is just the sheer size of our um, church. And, you know, when, so I was here four years, it was not part of a, there was no plan in place when I landed here to become the lead pastor, to succeed Mark Norman, which is what ended up happening four years later. Um, But I remember when Mark Norman first pitched the idea of me succeeding him in a transition plan happening, I was like very reluctant because I, I was really wrestling with the question, like, can you really pastor a mega church? Can you really shepherd people um, from a distance? And I mean, I really wrestled that. I sat down with a, a pastor who'd been pastoring for 45 years, and I, I said, Pastor Glenn, is this possible? You know, uh, can you really pastor a mega church? I remember his answer to me was so simple, but yet mind blowing. He goes, If you want to. And mm-hmm. that really hit me because it's like, no, you could just go into the. Um, you know, you could just get into the the mold of just being a CEO and just a mm-hmm. removed person and just lead the ministry and be a or be a pulpit personality and just do that. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can uh, try to shepherd the people that the Lord sends your way because if He's called you to do that, He's going to send you people. And it's kind of like the second option is what I've tried to live out of, but it's hard. It's hard. You know, it's hard to keep those. Um, the people that you're really passionate about, uh, they overlook the least of these in your day to day because you're just pulled and, you know, by so many other things. Mm. What is something, um, that really encouraged you and your faith as you've been journeying? Um, again, this is still geared toward the new believer or what would you like for the new believer, um, to hear from your heart? Hey, brother or sister, Mm. this is my word of encouragement my word of encouragement is um you know in your in especially for new believers um don't settle for a a cheap discipleship and what Mm. i mean by cheap discipleship is just a discipleship that is okay let's just get you like thinking the right things and all the right doctrines and like let's Mm -hmm. just get all the right theological precepts and principles in you like all that's important absolutely mm-hmm. like knowing the scripture the story of god so important um but there's a whole other aspect there's whole new as other aspects of you as a person that the lord also wants to bring in the lordship of christ and you know my encouragement is like pursue a a, a whole discipleship like uh, here's a here's a litmus test if you're learning and you're, you're, you're reading books and you're listening to sermons and you're understanding wonderful truths about the doctrines of the Christian faith, yet you are still a jerk, <laughs> Some, something is amiss. And I'm like, man, we can start earlier with people to not let them settle for like, oh, yeah, I'm just a jerk. I'll always be a jerk, but uh, I understand the Trinity, right? And I'm like, Man, no, don't settle. Don't settle. God wants to redeem and transform all of you. You know, yeah, we've been talking about that as down, far as yeah. mm-hmm. from the relationship, a full relationship, not just the head, but mm-hmm. as you stated, all mm-hmm. of you. And often mm-hmm. discipleship is a 
at least in the church, it's a, a systematic academic approach as opposed to the mm-hmm. relational, transparent, vulnerable approach that is seen in other places. So, cool. True I mean, like, that, true that. Even like your family of origin and how, you know, it's like we don't want to go into that because we're like, oh, that's too psychotherapy, that's too family systems th- theory and all that stuff. And it's like, wait a second. Yeah, we like, hate that stuff. <laughs> right? Like, I don't counselor. want to go into that. I don't want to, you know, and it's like, hold on, hold on. Like all of that stuff. Like God has used that to form you as a unique being, but there's things that we have to unlearn. There's things we have yeah. to um, bring under the Lordship of Christ, even those areas. And so, you know, it's like, I was talking with my wife about mm-hmm. this the other day, and I said to her, mm-hmm. this is just my, this is my take after reading scripture and, and knowing the Lord. When, after the final judgment, mm-hmm. when God has ended life as we know it here on earth and life has started in eternity, either for the damned or for the redeemed. I believe at that point, everyone, regardless of where they are spending eternity, will say in their hearts, this is right. Mm. And while there will be gnashing of teeth for those who are damned, they will not be gnashing their teeth because an injustice has been done. But they will, they will have to, having, having bowed their knee, having declared Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father, him having taken lordship of all things, they will say, no, this is right, and I hate it because it didn't have yep. to be this way. Yep, yep, yep. He's going to have everything. Mm-hmm. Mitchell, I, I want to thank you for your time. I want to be um, cognizant of the fact that you have things to do. Um, where can people find you if people want to follow you? How can they, uh, how can they do that? Yeah, um, you know, I've, I haven't really been that active on social media. Um, I'm, if they want to follow me, they can go to Rev. R-E-V-M-L-E-E. That's my handle for both uh, the gram or the book um, mm-hmm. if you want to follow me on social. But I'm not really that active there. Really, the best place is grace.community. It's our church website. I, I do have an author site, um, mitchellee.com, and it's uh, Mitchell with one L and then Lee with one L, and you put them all together, and it's .com. Um, I did write a book. It came out two years ago, a little bit under two years ago, called Even If, and you can take a look at that. Um, if you go to the web, my website, though, the, it'll point you to all those places, and uh, there's ways to email me that way. And uh, I'm just trying to eliminate a little bit of the distractions from social media and things like that, and the, uh, learning to or wanting to connect in different ways. So those are the best ways to do it, either through my church or through my own website. Excellent. Excellent. Well, there you guys go. Thank you very much for being with us. Uh, for you, a listener, if you want to reach out to us, you know you can do that by uh, dropping us a line, either anchor.fm or at anchoredanddevoted at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love for you to share this, pass it on. And uh, check out Grace Community Church, where both Pastor Joseph and Pastor Lee serve. And uh, we will see you next time. God bless.